We have, uh, just before the preach, we've, uh, a lot of weeks we have a slot where we profile someone and try and get to know them a bit and uh, what they do. And today we have Paulette, so she's obviously played a part in today's service. So again, even more of Paulette. Give her a greeting. So, Fantastic. Good. Hello. Do you want to just tell them how we met? Um, yes. Nigel and I met outside Sydenham train station in 2018, I think, yes, 2018. I had been living in Sydenham area for almost a year and I was looking for a um, a home church and I had walked past the Here for Good and saw this sign. There was a sign for Forest Hill Community Church. I thought, oh, I must look up that church. And, but I, I didn't. And a few days later, I was um, coming home and I actually came out of an, the entrance um, opposite to where I normally come out um, and saw Nigel handing out flies for Alpha. I had always wanted to do Alpha, but never had the opportunity to do Alpha. So when he handed me the leaflet and he said he was from the church, I thought, great, this will be a great opportunity for me to visit the church. Brilliant. So when you get an opportunity to hand out leaflets at Sydney Station for Alpha, it's so good. You just got to do it. Actually, Paulette walked past me and then you kind of turned around and came back. So it's really, they're kind of close encounters, aren't they? You could easily have walked out. Both of us were at the, the far side of the station where we wouldn't, wouldn't normally be, but it's been great to get to, to know you. Do you want to just tell us a bit about your backgrounds and your links with church growing up and then... In, in summary, um, I was raised in a Pentecostal church and I gave my life to Jesus at 11 years old. Um, and I continued, um, it's, I continued in the church that I was going and going to um, until I was about 30, and then I left. Um, I just, and I left mainly because I felt that the my, my walk had just become a lifestyle. It wasn't so much that I was in relationship with God. Um, it was just that I was just going to church um, almost every day. We went to church on Sunday, and then we had prayer meeting on Tuesday, and then we had youth surf- service on Thursday, and then on Saturday it would be a convention or program. So most of my life was in this church bubble, and it was, um, it was a black church. Um, And when I say black church, it was predominantly black West Indian culturally. Um, It was a church that was very, very, um, gosh, the church that I grew up in was quite small. It was, um, the denomination was a, a very large international denomination, but the church that I went to was very small. And most of my family were members of the church as well. So, um, yeah, I went there until I was 30 and then I left, um, to, to go and explore the world. And boy, did I explore the world. And when I explore the world, that's when I met patients, actually, that's a whole other story. And then about 15 years later, so you 
doing the maths now to work out my age, I came back to the Lord. And at that time, I was um, living in Brighton. And I came back to the Lord at um, the New Frontiers Church in Brighton. What brought you back to the Lord and what have you experienced since? Um, I, I think I always... I always loved the Lord. It was just that, um, I suppose I knew that there was more to, um, there was more to, to faith or more to following Jesus than just going to church every day. Um, and it was almost every day. There had to be more to that. And even though I had, when I was in my wilderness season, um, and I and I really just turned my back on God, but he just didn't turn his back on me, and he pursued me. Um, and I came back to him because I there was a peace that was just, I didn't have. And I wanted that peace back, and it wasn't until I gave my life back to Christ. And it was very gradual as well. He wooed me so tenderly in, um, you know, just putting people around me in my workplace that would just encourage me. And, um, and that, and also actually the most significant change was reading the book, The Shack. That had a profound impact on my life because I didn't know um, God the Father like that. And I just, you know, my, my um, perception of God was that he was just this, person that just wanted to, you know, anything that was good, anything that was fun, then he was anti it. So when I read the shack and, um, realized that he was a loving father and got to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that was, that brought me on the journey. It's like, this is the God that I want to get to know. And that's what I went after. And you got some family in Manchester? Yes, I have um, a beautiful daughter, Terry May, in Manchester, and a grandson, um, Amali, who is 15 months old. And um, I had them with me for three days this week, and it's taken me two days to rebuild my home. Um, after, um, you know, after, because when, vis- when he visited last, he wasn't walking. There's a big difference between crawling and walking, which is obvious, but oh my goodness. So, um, so yeah, I have family in, in Manchester. And how come your friend Patience is here? Oh, wow. Patience is here because I invited her um, to Alpha. So I did Alpha in 2018, and um, that was one of the reasons why I just decided to make this my church home. So I loved that there was a journey. So I started, I would say to people, I'm visiting or I'm coming along until when it was like, no, this is my church. So I do feel that this is my church home now. And um, I invited um, patients to come to Alpha last year, May. And, you know, with Alpha, I just said to the two friends that I invited, you just come to the first one. There's great food. There's like a video. There's a conversation. And, you know, if you don't want to come back again, no problem at all. And, and that, is the, that is the culture of, of Alpha, anyone that who's interested. Um, and the food is amazing. Um, I have to say that when I was coming the first time, a lot of the times I just came for the food. <laughs> I did. That's what got me excited on a Wednesday morning. Um, anyway, so patients um, came along to Alpha and came every week. There was a couple of weeks that I couldn't make it. And um, 
that near the end that we have that we have a Holy Spirit Sunday, and that weekend I was in Jamaica because my I'm, uh, my parentage is Jamaica. My parents live in Jamaica, so I was away in Jamaica, and I got a text message from. Um, patient saying that she really wishes that I was here and you know you know she wants to talk to me and I was like we have whatsapp just let's call me and she told me and she was just crying and just sharing how the experience or the encounter she had with Jesus at the Holy Spirit um, Sunday and it was I think it was it was a progression I think that you know the Lord was wooing her as well but the you know the main encounter when she gave her life to the Lord was on that day and I, it's really weird when you are with someone and have done life with someone and then they give their life. I just thought, God, you still save people. <laughs> and, you know, her hunger for the Lord just blows me away. I could just talk for ages. <laughs> Last question. We, we, will, we will have Naomi. We like to know what people do for their jobs. So just say what job you do and whether you enjoy your work. And finally, um, I am a office manager. I work for a digital technology company um, in the city. And basically what we do is we build, we do from the consultative side with the client straight through to developing apps. Um, so like if you're a HSBC um, customer, then we developed that app that you use for online banking um, and also do websites. So I work with a bunch of creatives um, who do like UX and design and nerds in technology. And I'm basically the mother in the office. I'm the one that brings one of my... One of my passions is to bring family into the work environment and to um, bring, in, bring in Jesus, but they but kind of undercover. So I don't have a banner saying that it's Jesus, but I know that the impact that I'm having on them is because of the light within me because of Jesus. Thank you very much, Paulette. Let's pray. Well, thank you for Paulette. Thank you for connecting us together. Thank you she's found a home here. Thank you for the Alpha course. Thank you. You do still help men and women to come to know you in this day and age, Lord Jesus, and in this city. And Lord, we pray now that your anointing will be upon Naomi and you'll help us to really be fed from your word and be encouraged in our walk with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So if you turn to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Can we just start by uh, just, just closing our eyes and, um, and just breathing. Just be conscious of your, of your breath and just breathe Jesus in and breathe out any other stuff that might be clouding your head. Lord, we invite you here. We, you're here. We thank you that you're here. Lord, speak to us. Lord, we want to know you better. Thank you for your invitation. Okay, so um, I was very interested to read this week um, about a guy called Martin Buber. Has anybody heard of Martin Buber? My son, Josh, might have heard of Martin Buber, no. Um, <laughs> he's, he was a, um, uh, an Austrian 
um, Jew, a philosopher and theologian. And um, he, the reason why I was interested in him is because he went to live in Lvov when he was about Lvov, in, in, which is now in the Ukraine. Um, when he was about three years old, looked after, his, uh, looked after by his grandfather, and he was raised there, and that city is where my mother, where my mother comes from. Um, and he uh, came up with a very interesting philosophy, um, which he called Ich Du. He spoke German, so Ich Du, I, you. And his, his premise was that, um, that we learn and exist only through encounter. So I thought that was an interesting, an interesting uh, take. Um, so this whole series on encounter is us, is us stepping into that space that Jesus invites us to with him. And the story that I chose to speak on today um, is this story. So I was given free reign and I chose this story because it's always had a lot of meaning for me, a lot of impact um, for me and um, has always drawn me. Um, and I, some of you weren't here when it was read, but hoping you're managing to sort of skim read it now. But um, I chose this because there are two people involved here. There are two encounters. There's a Pharisee. And have we had, um, sorry, yeah, that was the sort of picture. <laughs> I'm not in the way. Um, a picture of that, of that story. Um, so you have the Pharisee and you have the sinful woman. And there's, a, in a sense, a contrast between these two encounters with Jesus. And Jesus addressed them both. He loved them both. Am I in the way? Sorry. Shall I stand up? It's all right. Okay. Um, and for me, I always felt a bit more like the Pharisee than the woman. Um, I wanted to be like the woman who really understood, really knew that she was loved. And so this, this story has always kind of, um, has always has, has gripped me because of a longing in my heart to know from Jesus how much I'm loved and actually what I tend to be like is the person who is on not so much on the outside but the 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 one who kind of wants everything to be just right who tries to fix the world by doing things you know that kind of person who makes judgments about things and so I've always felt a bit more like the Pharisee than the woman and so this is this was a, a joy really to come back to this passage again and we all right um to come back to this passage again and just and just think about it and just sit in it and um, and the other story that always gets me, which I was thinking about doing but didn't, and that's the story of Martha and Mary, where Mary's the one that comes and sits at Jesus' feet, and here is another woman who comes to Jesus' feet, and I guess as I open, I just want to say this is you know my the longing of my heart is to be at Jesus' feet, so I hope that's somewhere where you want to be too. So the context of this, I thought we could look at the, um, the context, um, comes uh, quite near the beginning of, of Luke, um, and it comes just after the Sermon on the Mount, so in Luke 6 is the Sermon on the Mount, um, and in the beginning of this chapter, in Luke 7, um, there's a, um, a demonstration of a healing, so the, he- the, um, the centurion's servant is healed, and then Jesus raises the, um, the, de- the dead son of the widow of Nain. And then John sends his disciples along to confirm Jesus' credentials, essentially. Are you the one who is to come? And what does Jesus say? He says, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, 
the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Isn't that great that Jesus puts that on the same par as we're being raised from the dead, that the good news goes to the poor? Yeah. So, yeah, and then Jesus makes a commentary on John, and he speaks about the Pharisees as well. So he introduces the Pharisees as people who have rejected God's purpose for them. Um, because they're accusing him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think Jesus is very happy to put his hand up to that accusation. Um, uh, but he, in so doing, he, he, he contrasts the uh, attitudes of the Pharisees with what Jesus knows as wisdom. And he says, wisdom is proved right by all her children. And that's the, the framework, um, the, the, the introduction, if you like, to then this story, which includes a Pharisee and includes, if you like, a poor woman. Um, one who is at least spiritually, potentially poor. So, is it the same as other accounts of anointing? You've probably, I'm sure you've read, I'm sure as there, you've, you've read that there are, there are a few accounts of anointing. There's an, actually an account of Jesus being anointed in every single one of the Gospels. The Matthew and Mark one are very, very similar. You probably know that Matthew took a lot, probably took a lot of his material straight from Mark. So they're often told in, you know, they're often very similar accounts in those two Gospels. John is a different one. That's, um, again, that's the one about where Mary, and, uh, where Mary anoints Jesus. And then there's this story. So this story actually comes, so you can do the next. Roll me through, thank you. Um, so this story... Um, Oh, gosh, we're getting behind. Sorry. <laughs> Next one. That's it. So Luke 7, um, this one is about an unknown woman at the home of Simon the Pharisee early on in the ministry of Jesus. And hi, Joe. <laughs> and um, the woman anoints Jesus' feet. And Jesus speaks of forgiveness in this one. Next one. John 12 is six days before the Passover. And Mary, who's obviously the sister of Martha and Lazarus, um, anoints again Jesus' feet. This time it's mentioned it's pure, with pure nard. That was the most expensive perfume you could get. And gets criticized by the disciples. And Jesus speaks of his burial. Yeah? And then Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Again, an unknown woman this time. At the home of Simon the leper two days before the Passover, anoints his head, again with pure nard, and Jesus again speaks of his burial. I, people try to merge those together, and I just, I can't merge them together. Um, they were there. It's, it's different when you have your head anointed and your feet anointed. It's really quite obvious. You don't forget those kind of facts, in my opinion. Um, so I think these were, these were almost certainly three separate anointings. I find that really interesting in itself um, because we'll go on to look at the purpose of anointing and, um, and I think there is some significance in the fact that there were three anointings by women. So, um, so anyway, so this one is the early on in the ministry, unknown woman, and she anoints his feet. So let's look at the characters. Um, let's look at the Pharisee first. Okay, that's sort of a picture of a Pharisee. Um, best one I could get. <laughs> um, so who was the Pharisee? So we're told that his name is Simon. 
Simon the Pharisee. There were lots of Simons in those days. Um, and we, he probably had a house, well, he had a house, and it was probably in Capernaum. We don't know for sure, but the stories around that, um, around, in the context, were all in that sort of area. So Nain, Capernaum, they were all in that sort of area. So it was probably in Capernaum. Um, and he had a dilemma. So his dilemma is probably that he was actually quite attracted by Jesus, by what he had to say. Um, but it was, it was early days. Nobody had quite made up their minds about Jesus, or they were beginning to make up their minds, and it probably wasn't going to be positive on the side of the Pharisees. So he was kind of hedging his bets. He was saying, okay, come, come to my house, Jesus. Let's hear what you've got to say. Um, but at the same time, he wasn't actually going to pay him any special honor. All right, so he's kind of hedging his bets, treading a nice political line. Um, now, next slide. Um, I, look, uh, I was reading up about the word Pharisee, and they're not entirely sure what it, the, 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 the meaning of it, but the, the, it seems to come from a word which means one who is separated. So that's interesting in itself, isn't it? it and so separated out because they wanted to be holy. The Pharisees were striving really hard to do everything absolutely right. And I don't know if I referred in the slide, but um, you can go on to the next bits. Yeah, Uh, keep going um, because we're on the next slide now. Sorry. That's it. Yeah, and again. Okay, so if you look at Matthew 23, you don't have to do that now, but if you ever wanted to go and look at it, Jesus gives an absolutely brilliant exposition of what is a Pharisee and what their problems are, okay? Um, And he basically says, um, be careful, Jesus says this, be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, (laughs) because they do not practice what they preach. Isn't that interesting? They were trying so hard to practice what they preach, but actually Jesus said they didn't because they missed the point. And he calls attention to their positions of authority, to their their concern for outward recognition, to be seen to be good, um, their enthusiasm for making converts, um, their emphasis on observing legalistic minutiae in the law. And in verse 23, Jesus condemns them not for what they did, but for neglecting the more important matters, the matters of the heart, the matters of law, of of justice, of mercy and faithfulness, which was the point of the law. The laws were the rules, but the point of it was to bring justice, to bring mercy, to bring faithfulness. So they tended to be cold and legalistic, but they were holy men. You know, they did pursue purity with a passion And they wanted nothing more than to live lives that pleased God. They were sincere, albeit very misguided. There were never more than about 6,000 of them in the country. And they were known as um, Chabura, or the Brotherhood. And they entered into this Brotherhood by taking a pledge in front of three witnesses that they would spend all their time observing every detail of the law. And they were very busy because there's a lot of laws. And so not only is there the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible where where, uh, Moses lays out all the laws. The Tanakh, which is the whole bit of the Bible, the teachings, the historical, the the prophets. The Mishnah, which was the writing from the scribes on how you kept 
the law, and then the Talmud, which was the commentary on the Mishnah. So they had a lot of stuff to pay attention to, and they were very busy at it. They were so busy at it, they were neglecting the main point of it. So that's the Pharisee. What about that's the background of the Pharisee? So Simon, possibly, you know, somebody who was who was wanted to serve God but had a particular way of doing it, which was very much centered on himself and his ability to do things right. Then we have the woman. So who is the woman? Well, she's described not with a name, but she's described as sinful woman. And the, and the way that the language is used, most commentators agree that she was a, a publicly known sinner. In other words, she's likely to have been a prostitute. And so we have this woman who was keep going, um, basically despised, but certainly probably by, by Simon and his class, probably avoided by most people because he didn't want to be tainted by a sinful woman. And I've used the words othered because we we, that's a kind of modern word, isn't it? Um, we, we other people, don't we? We make them different from us. We put them outside of ourselves. So she was definitely othered. But her dilemma was, how do I get close to Jesus? How do I do that? How do I get to him? So she must so well i mean to answer that question actually in those days houses were often left open they were often open houses so uninvited strangers could come in and observe a meeting or a meal and they were very much observed it sounds weird i know but apparently this was the, this was the custom that you could just wander into a place where you knew there was a meeting and um, you could just stand on the sidelines and watch or listen and i guess that's how News travelled, how people got to hear conversation, how they partly educated themselves. It was a custom in those days. So she got in because uninvited people did get in. But I, 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 I don't know how easy it was her, for her to get in. That's what we don't know. We don't know how much she had to really push to get there. Um, and she'd heard that this was happening, that this meeting was happening. She'd heard that Jesus was there and she wanted to get to Jesus. And I guess... Rather than being in a crowd where you can't really have access, to be somewhere where someone is seated and, and still, you know, you've got more of a chance of getting access to them. She must have heard Jesus before. She must have done. Or she'd heard at least, at least secondhand of what he, wa- what he was and who he was and what he was preaching. She must have heard this gospel that he was preaching. She must have heard this gospel of repentance. Because what did it say Jesus went around doing? Preaching, repent, repent, turn back to God. That was his message. And so um, if we go on to the next slide. Keep going. Just some, you can put them all up actually, just some um, examples of the, this gospel that Jesus was preaching straight from the Tanakh, straight from the Old Testament. Is repentance good news? God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. The Lord your God is gracious and compassionate, 
He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. And so they, the Pharisees had got it this way, that you have to obey the law. But she had got something. She'd got a different message. She'd got, gosh, if I turn, if I, if I turn away from what, what's been happening to me, God's going to receive me. That's the message she heard. Very different message. Pharisees, I've got to do it this way. I've got to be good. got to be right. Woman with nothing. I just have to turn. And, and I'm, I'm, that's the message that she... I'm absolutely convinced that that's the message she's, she's got. And so she comes and she wants to, uh, to encounter Jesus. And if you remember Jesus' commission that he took upon himself from Isaiah 61. I think that's the next one. Um, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think in that moment that she took her alabaster jar of oil and she was thinking, I just want to touch him, I just want to anoint him, that she may have had these words in mind. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is good news for her. And she's affirming it in that act. It's absolutely beautiful. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners. And Jesus says, doesn't he, in his invitation, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, the anointing itself... Um, Alabaster jars were common um, vessels for, for ointment and um, oils and ointments. Um, a bit softer than marble, marble, easily kind of worked and scooped out um, to maybe made into pots and bottles. Um, and it was very common in those days for uh, wealthy people, actually, to, to come and uh, to, to, to use to hold their ointments and their perfumes within these, these uh, jars. So, we, we, I don't know, we, we, we sort of ask, okay, why was she anointing him? Well, um, these are just some of the, on the next, sorry, that was a slide of David being anointed, but these are just some of the things in the Bible, some of the situations where anointing happens. So, we've got just in daily life as a per, like a perfume to make yourself smell better. Um, welcoming guests, as Simon should have done, really. Um, and then, and then you've got the ritual anointing. So for prophets, priests, and kings, they were all anointed. And I just think that this, I mean, it's my own, I, I don't know if this is true, I don't know if this is what the Lord had in mind, but we have three pictures here of the anointings in, in the New Testament. And I just think, you know, when God does, when, when, when these things are emphasized three times, you should sit up and listen. When God says something three times, when he relays something three times, something you should sit up and listen. And I think, I think this is an absolute affirmation of Jesus' ministry as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. He was anointed three times in these three different ways. And, um, and yes, he was anointed for his burial, uh, uh, and, 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 and of course that. that but I, I do think there's another layer to this as well. 
And then there's the spiritual anointing. The Messiah, the word Messiah means anointed one. So you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, there's the anointing for healing um, and for spiritual warfare. So anointing was um, a multi-purposed um, uh, thing. Um, but this was, a specific, this was a specific anointing that she wanted to give probably, well, yeah. I mean, you can speculate, but I think there were lots of things going through her mind. So, so how does Jesus respond, next slide, how does Jesus respond to Simon? Well, he accepts his invitation. He doesn't say, oh, you're a Pharisee, I can't be bothered with you, you know. Um, Jesus is quite strict with Pharisees, you know, he's quite blunt with them. Um, but he accepts Simon's invitation, it's a genuine invitation, and Jesus accepts it. And he calls him by his name. And he speaks directly to Simon's need. He understood that Simon had completely missed the point, And he wanted him to understand what had been going on. And he exposes his flawed thinking by telling this parable. So he says, if very simply, in just a few words, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and the other owed 50, whatever it was. And when they had nothing to pay, he freely forgave them both. And in those few words, Jesus conveys that, yeah, there are people who owe big debts and there are people who owe little debts, but they're still debts. And for the debtor, who, and, the, and for the, the person who is cancelling those debts, it's still a debt cancelled. It matters not whether it's big or little, it's the same to the debtor, it's cancelled. And so Jesus, in a very short, in a very, very succinct little parable, then asked Simon the question, which is to draw Simon out. Because, of course, Jesus' focus is always on that person. It's always on the person and their need. So he asks him a question that Simon needs to answer. Who will love him most? Who of those who've had their debts cancelled will love him most? And that's absolutely the right question for Simon, who then hedges his bets again. Well, he's slightly reluctantly. <laughs> I suppose, he says, I suppose it is, of course he knows who it is. I suppose it is the one who loves, who's bigger, who had the bigger debt. And Jesus says, you are right. And the Old Testament gives very, actually, I won't, I won't go to that because we're, we don't have that much time left. So we'll go, we'll go on. Okay. What about Jesus' response to the woman? This is amazing. Jesus receives her intimate attentions. She stands there and she weeps all over his feet. And then she bends down and she's a prostitute. She's been a prostitute. She takes her hair out, which is, you know, in in Jewish culture, you do not let your hair down. She takes her hair out, she lets it down, and she uses her hair to wipe his feet. It's just incredible. And she did this in front of everybody. She may not have known that she would be noticed, but boy, was Jesus going to notice. And then she... They put this ointment on his feet, and the perfume must have... I don't even know if Simon noticed until maybe the perfume started wafting around. Um, But Jesus noticed. 
And Jesus speaks to her. He honors her. He honors her in public. He doesn't put her on the spot because he addresses Simon. Um, But then he turns to her afterwards. And he says... And he says to Simon, and he, he kind of goes through one thing after another. In a very, I mean, it's very pointed, but in a way it's the gentlest way he can do it. So he says, well, I came, and you didn't give me water to wash my feet. And you didn't give me oil to anoint my head. And she has both washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, and anointed my feet, not even not my head, but my feet with precious ointment. And can you imagine how Jesus is going to say that? He's, he's going to say that in a, in a way that's a gentle rebuke. It's a gentle rebuke on Simon. It's a, it's a, and in the same way, it's an invitation. So as he asked Simon the question, who loved most? It's an invitation to Simon to understand and to come closer. He's not saying to Simon, you haven't sinned enough, therefore you don't qualify. It's an invitation to understand his own need and his own debt. And I think that's where it comes to us, actually. Because for me, I was always thinking, oh, well, you know, do I have to, do I have to have been, do I have to have gone through something absolutely terrible to have then been forgiven and then understand how much I'm loved? And, and no, of course it's not that. It's not about the sin that we've been through. It's about how much, how much we really know and understand what we've been forgiven that makes any difference between you, me, and anyone absolutely irrelevant. Because Jesus freely and fully offers that slate to be absolutely wiped clean. And it's about, do I really understand that? Do I really get that? That it doesn't depend on me at all. There's not a single thing that I can do. Not a single bit of... I need to keep this, I need to be good at that, I need to go to church tomorrow, I need to do the prayer meeting. No, it's nothing, it's absolutely irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. It's actually all about what Jesus offers to us in himself. It's nothing to do with what we can give back to him. It's not that he doesn't want that, it's not that he doesn't want us, of course he does. But, it, it, but in, terms of our, in terms of having that slate white cream, white cream, there is nothing we can offer. These two debtors had nothing to pay. They were going to be bankrupt. And we are the same. We're bankrupt without Jesus. And it reminds me of this, that beautiful passage in Isaiah where, where um, the Lord's servant is described. And he, it says, A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. And then again from Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's the Messiah, the Lord's anointed one. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, 
But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And that's just what Jesus did in that encounter. He saw beyond what Simon saw. Simon saw a a sinful woman and somebody should be cast out. And Jesus saw something very different. He saw a heart that was searching after him. And so the Pharisees' judgment was turned on its head. The last shall be first. And Jesus turns to her and at the end and he says, your faith has saved you. Not your love. It's not because you've loved me a lot that, I've, that you're saved. That's an evidence of your understanding that you are saved. You are fa- saved by faith. Faith that I can do this. Faith that I am compassionate and gracious and loving and want to forgive. Faith in a God with that kind of character. So the last question. Keep going. We've got way behind. <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. And again. Yep. And again. Go in peace. Best words on the planet. Go in peace. So how do we encounter Jesus? The challenge to us. Do we do we stand there and think that there are ways that we can... Ju- Actually, we don't. You know, when we come to Jesus, we don't in our heads think that way. It's actually how we behave sometimes, or at least how I behave. I'm, I, I know in my head that my salvation is brought by Jesus and I have nothing to bring. But in my, in my actions and in my thinking and in my behavior, sometimes I'm con- I've realized that I'm constantly trying still to gain that favor, to earn that place. And... And we just need the Lord to have compassion on us and and expose those times when we're trying to do it in our own strength. Because that always leads to frustration, does for me anyway. Terrible frustration. And anger with myself, you know, that I can't be good enough. Which of course I can't, but it doesn't matter. And... And, or or do, we do, do we come like the woman came with absolutely nothing, with a, with a past, an absolutely terrible past? And she just, wanted, she just wanted to be with Jesus. She wanted to be at his feet. She wanted to love him, to show how much she loved him, and just be at his feet. So that's our challenge to us out of this, um, out of this word today. And um, maybe we can just... Uh, spend a couple of minutes now just resting in that asking the Lord to speak to us asking the Lord to just put his finger on on whatever he wants to put his finger on and bring that bit back to life again because he just wants to bring life he wants to bring wholeness healing and joy and he wants to give you his peace Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to know how wonderful it is to be in your presence. 
thank you that we've got nothing ourselves to, to bring to contribute, but we just cling to your cross. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness. Lord, we ask you to work in our thinking when we uh, get it wrong in our thoughts or behaviour or judgments about other people or ourselves. Lord, we thank you that we've been in your presence this morning. We can have the way we think, the way we behave, the way we respond to you. That can be changed by your grace and your mercy. Thank you, we're not trying to prove anything to you or anyone else. Thank you, we're not trying to be superior to anyone else. Thank you, we're just humble sinners that have been forgiven by you. Lord, help us just to soak in your blessing and let what we've heard and what we've felt in our spirits while we were listening to your word help that uh, uh, be deep in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you.